0: All right, welcome to episode two of Think at Heart. This is uh, Ben Hart, the namesake of the Heart Investment Group, and I'm Scott Goodfellow, the hello, hello. Side. Hey. How <laughs> are you? I'm good, you? <laughs> good. Well, we
1: talked, uh, well, how do you think episode one went? Pretty good, pretty good. I mean, yeah. I think uh, we're going to find our way, but I think it went good. I think we gave a good high high level, good high level start.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I think, I think we're going to be able to boil it down and create some themes around what this thing is going to be and what the overall podcasts and themes are. Yeah. Uh, I think we have a little more direction today, so uh, we're just going to get right into it. One of the things that we talked about before was, you know, last time we talked a little bit about our backgrounds and we determined uh, just kind of throughout the week that, You know, it might be a good angle because I have 20 years as an entrepreneur, so I really know Main Street. And before I kind of came into this business, you know, the markets are always something that I watched but never really understood, right? I couldn't understand how something would trade at 50 times earnings, right? And where the value of these companies are and what, like, how could we really, uh, you know, sustain those kind of multiples, right? Same thing with – same thing with – uh, you know, you look at companies like Tesla and, and companies like that that just seem to be overvalued. I'm like, yeah. where, how does this value still keep going up? Or situations like now where we're in lockdowns, the economy's never been worse and the market still goes up, right? Yeah. yeah. So I always look at it from... Uh, you know, and you just you seem to take it in stride because mm-hmm. you just know that's how the market works, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm freaking out over here, going on Main Street like this, looking at all these businesses that have no cash flow, right? Because yeah. I know what it takes. I've seen the cash flow. These guys, you know, have to pay people. They got to keep the lights on, and that's how they they run their business, right? Yeah. So I think that's how we're gonna move forward. Is is you're? It's kind of gonna be. You know, I'm going to challenge things versus, you know, the yeah. everyday guy. The, sure. the, so we're almost positioning it as, as uh, Wall Street versus Main Street. Yeah. Right. So you'll play yeah. the Wall Street side. I'll play the Main Street side because really that's where, where we're at.
1: Yes. right. Yes.
0: So uh, let's just start. Start with that. Then, okay. yeah. um, you know, you touched on a, a little bit last time, but let's talk a little bit. Let's get a little more in depth of it and talk about how is it. That in, you know, an economy like we have now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do the markets be as hot as they have ever been? How does that make sense at all?
1: Yeah. So look, it's a great question. It's been a learn too. Like uh, when I started in the business, I wouldn't have thought that either. You know, I, as I think I mentioned on our call last week. Uh, you know, I studied Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett, Peter Lynch, like these value investors that, you know, what's the intrinsic value of a company We want to buy something below intrinsic value and wait till it, it realizes its value and then we sell it. And so, you know, that uh, can work over us. That has worked over a super long cycle in Buffett's case, uh, but Buffett's certainly underperformed the market in the last uh, six, seven, eight years. Um, mm-hmm. So, it's been a learn learning curve for me too because my my base kind of thinking was around valuations, and so when I came into this business, I thought, okay, you know, I'll look for those companies that trade at a discount. You know, I'll look in a sector, say like financials, for example. I'll analyze which one has the best, you know, trading below book value, and I'll buy that one and and sell it when it realizes that. Well, you know, I came into the business in in ninety nine two thousand, so. You know, we had this kind of momentum trade that was going on. And I remember attending like lecture after lecture about how momentum investing was this new thing and that value investing was dead. And so, you know, you kind of learn about, like, I remember following this guy, his name was uh, Derek Webb. I don't know if he's still managing money or not, but he was at a firm at a time and his numbers were spectacular. Like he was killing everybody. And, And I thought, Hang on a second, like he's buying these companies that, you know, IPO that don't have cash flow, they have negative cash flow. Like, why are these going up? Like, why are they going up a thousand percent when they when they open? Why is this happening? And so that was kind of the first time that I started to think about the fact that, you know, maybe value investing isn't the only way to make money. And you know that was the first time I learned it. And so now, as I've gone through kind of different levels of bull and bear markets, um, you know, we're, we've, we've reached a kind of a new paradigm where I think that, uh, I'm not gonna say this time is different, but I think the way the market is built and the way the market interacts with the different information has changed a lot you know, people used to own stocks for three to five years and, you know, they had that kind of long cycle built into it, but now you get, you get, you know, money flowing into the market, you get instant information, you get the market reacting off of this instant data flow, um, which is uh, very different than the fundamentals, which, you know, you would look at a business and go, you know, I want to buy this company because it trades at a discount. And if you were, You know, if you're assessing a business as an entrepreneur, like you did the last 20 years, you'd go, okay, here's this business, here's the cash flow, you know, maybe it makes sense to put an offer in, but that's not how the market trades today.
0: Yeah, but doesn't that just, um, and this is certainly something I thought before is, doesn't that that just support the view of, you know, playing the markets just the same as gambling? Really like you're making somewhat educated guesses on, you know, what you think may or may not happen with these companies. Right. And it seems like there's no rhyme or reason to it. Like when stocks go up, you know, it it makes no sense why they're going up. You know, they lay off,
1: you know, they lay off 10,000 people and the stock goes up. Well, I mean yeah. that's I mean that that happens because that's that's better for the company, right? Right. Yeah. The right. cutting the costs, so right. Yeah, that's typically right. why why those the stocks rally on that kind of news, but you know, yeah. uh, as for the gambling aspect to it, uh, to some extent, yes. Like if it's blind, educated, like you walk into a casino and. You're going to play blackjack. You never played blackjack before. Uh, you're going to go in there. You're going to spend a bunch of money and maybe you win, maybe you lose. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's the everyday investor that goes to online. They look at the top 20 stocks in the market, for for example, or they go to like Robinhood, right? The Robinhood lists the top 10 stocks in the holdings and they're going to, you know, they're going to go in, they're going to willy nilly pick one of those and they might get lucky and they that's might right get lucky a few times that's right
0: (laughs) that's right yeah yeah exactly well and i think that's the general consensus of the majority of people certainly in my circles which is more of the mean street circles right yeah you know i go to the rink i talk to the hockey dads who are you know, employees or entrepreneurs and they have a mainstream yeah. view and you talk yeah. about the market. Nobody has any idea of how it actually works. For right? sure. And since I've been in it now um, and had to go through the whole process and study and f- figure out all the terminology and all that stuff and learn about a little bit more how it works. Yeah. I understand. I certainly understand better of how it works. Yeah. Um, right. But the, the everyday person will never understand that, nor, nor do they really need to Right. But I think that's one of the things that keeps people away from the market, putting their money into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it's just so overcomplicated with derivatives and selling underlying assets and bonds and yields. And right. That's just not something people are interested in. And really, I mean, if they were, if people just put a little bit of, of, time into it to understand a basic view and i'm hoping yeah. that's something that we can do on this podcast sure is hopefully that's my role is kind of to i don't want to say dumb it down yeah. for people because i don't think that i think that kind of diminishes you know people's intelligence but that's not the yeah. point but really yeah. make it into chewable sizes so people can understand right more of the strategies that you put in place like high level guys like you that put in yeah. place that makes sense right that offer yeah. that growth like maintain that safety you know like that whole yeah. thing
1: right yeah yeah
0: because everybody yeah. wants to go in put their money and they hear all these stories of oh you know i put uh, my 25 grand in bitcoin and now it's worth uh, a million bucks yeah that's the main street guy's uh you know Take. dream come true for right? sure that's his dream
1: yeah. come true that's the way that he sees the market Right. yeah yeah so, so i mean definitely this is the classic one i get from 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 people and clients they're like i just talked to my neighbor jim and he bought uh xyz and it went up 50 percent. why didn't we buy xyz yeah and so people have that kind of narrow view around uh that you know you only hear the good ones you only hear about the good trades from everyone. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: exactly yeah. exactly and there's so
0: many different strategies right yep. i mean uh you know, you follow a couple people specifically. I mean, you you touched on a little bit about uh, Warren Buffett and his value-based training. And you know, what's funny is that you, you mentioned that he's been he he's been crushed by the market like the last six or seven years. But certainly, if you watch the media, it doesn't seem that way. That's right. right? Yeah, they still call him the Oracle. They still he still still seems like he's you know never made a mistake. Yeah, right? like that type of thing. That's just that's all promotion. But yeah. there's I think I, and for coming from a main street side that like his way of investing makes sense. probably the most sense to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but now just being in it for the short time that I've been doesn't make sense to me at all. Right. I, I start, I understand, especially nowadays where I think you have to look out so much further down the road in order to get value out of your trades. Right. Like, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, so I mean, I think uh, I think what happens is you got a couple of choices when you when you manage money, right? You got the choice as an advisor or portfolio manager, um, you choose to not try to understand it and give the money to somebody else to manage, which is which is the majority. Or you find a way to come up with a view and a thesis that you can execute on a on a repeatable basis um, over the long term. And so, you know, most advisors choose the route where they give the money to somebody else to manage on their behalf. And then the advisor's job ultimately is to, I guess, manage asset allocation. And so uh, maybe I should talk a little bit about asset allocation because that that is a kind of a complicated answer, like a complicated word where people are like, what does that mean?
0: <laughs> well, let's go back. So you're telling me that, so some advisors, so if I'm the client, right, I'm Joe Blow that owns a small business and I've got a hundred grand to put in or 250 grand to put in yeah i give it to an advisor and then they give it to somebody else that's Is that what
1: happens typically that's typical yes yes yeah yeah so look you'll go into any firm in canada and you got obviously lots of choices but typically they're either going to give it to someone in their back office to manage like a, a somebody behind the scenes makes the decision and they just sit in front of it uh, or they'll give it to a mutual fund company and that mutual fund company obviously executes all the decisions where the advisor doesn't make them Um, and of course if you go into every bank branch in the country you know you sit in front of them and, and you you know Joe Blow with two hundred fifty thousand dollars sit in front of them, and you go through this questionnaire, which uh, uh, which spits out a risk profile, and then you you, know, you end you end up investing in a fund of fund, which is you, know, you probably own something like five thousand stocks and bonds uh, over many different investment managers that really don't have an integrated. You know, decision, and there's nothing unique for you. It's just what uh, what the what the bank has put together for uh, for clients that fit your risk profile.
0: So, what's the role of the advisor there, then?
1: Uh, <laughs> so, I guess the role of the advisor is to assess the the risk tolerance. I mean, uh, if they're at the bank, they're probably doing some credit analysis as well. Um, so maybe they're coming up with a savings plan or something that you can do to, to get to some other goals. Um, but it wouldn't be the, it wouldn't be investment in, anyway, in my opinion, it wouldn't be investment advice. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you're really
0: not going to make much money in that type of investing. Right? Well, like, uh, that's your, that's your, that's your safety. Like people that just want to make, go in and make three, one to 3% and Mm -hmm. right. Is that typically where you're at with those types of things?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, depending on what you invest in there and depending what the market does, I think you can, you can do okay. You know, I think the difference now is that we're at a point where, you know, what worked over the last 40 years is probably not going to work over the next 40. I think we've talked about this before. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, Markowitz was this gentleman that came up with this asset allocation strategy, which is you own this much stocks, you own this much bonds. If you do that effectively, depending where you are on that that risk curve, you're going to get a different rate of return. So when this was created, you know, we look back, we'll, we'll say in the mid 80s, it's actually before then but like hypothetically in the mid 80s say you had 40% of your portfolio in bonds well you know for certain you're going to get you know 6% out of your bonds so that's your that's your base, that's your risk, uh, risk-free assets. So in order to get to kind of 10 to 12% rate of return, well, it wasn't too hard. You didn't have to step really far out on, on the risk scale to get to that uh, you know, that 10% rate of return. But today, you know, if you're invested in 40% of your portfolio in bonds, well. You know, if you're owning government bonds, which was his recommendation at the time, um, you know your your return is one percent, one and a half percent. And so, you know, when you think about that, if you have a 40 percent portfolio in bonds earning you one percent, and you got 60 percent of your portfolio in stocks, and say you want to get to 10 percent rate of return well, those 60% of your portfolio of stocks are going to have to kill it in order for you to get your get yourself right. there. Yeah. Right, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think that's the thing, right? I mean, if I come to you, right? Again, going back to the main street, if I have the approach where I want to make money in the market, yep. right? I mm-hmm. come to you, you're my advisor, and I say, I want to actually make some money here, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what, t- what, I mean, obviously you're not going to stick me in mutual funds and like, I won't be happy with one
1: to
0: 3%. You know what I mean? Yeah. So do you think a market, do you think the market's a good place to make money? First <laughs> of all, like if I'm looking looking to make money.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the, one of the cool things about the market is you can, it can be anything. It can be a place to make money. It can be a place to preserve your capital. It can be a place to just be slow and steady. It can be any of those things. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the unique challenges that we have as advisors or portfolio managers is, is to assess your understanding with risk and your comfort with it. Mm-hmm. And so, Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when, when people come to me for the, for the first time, you know, a lot of times the answer is, you know, I want to make a number that's, that's Mm -hmm. their starting point. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So, you know, what the, what I try to accomplish by the end of my kind of initial meetings and and initial getting to know people is, you know, how much is, how much are you comfortable with that? You tell me you want to make, 10%, 10%, you tell me you want to double your money, like, do you know, uh, like, I need you to understand what the risk is with, with those types of views in mind. Right. Right. So if you can't, sorry, go ahead. No, if you, if yeah, you, yeah. The point, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you come to me and say I want to double my money, well, you know, that kind of uh, expectation comes with maximum risk. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure yeah (laughs) but i think that's you know what
0: you said before about um you know the market can kind of do whatever you want it to do Hmm. is i think something is not understood certainly i didn't understand that coming in right is is you know if you want to preserve capital then it can do that you know if you want to use it as a way to make money then you can certainly work it to a way that you can certainly strive to accomplish that, right. By taking more risk. And then, like you said, it's just, it's understanding that it's just a matter of risk tolerance. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah.
1: And that, that's, that's the challenge, right. You come to me with a million dollars and you Mm -hmm. say you want to make 20, 20% returns. Well, Mm -hmm. in order to do that, you have to be willing to understand that, yeah, there's, there's a high probability at some point over the over the next few years, you're gonna have a 50% drawdown in the portfolio. So if you got a million dollars invested, say it grows to you know 1.2 million, mm-hmm. but then we have a 50% correction, and it drops into you know you drop to uh, 600, 700 thousand. Mm-hmm. Can you handle that? With the knowing that you know that 700 thousand will probably triple again at some point, mm-hmm. like and so i think one of the things is that people don't understand that right. and uh, majority of clients that i've met and dealt with over the years also can't handle it right
0: the risk the risk they can't handle they can't handle volatility can't handle That's, it yeah yeah i could definitely see that right especially if it was all your money i think some people that maybe you know like you mentioned a million dollars you know if you have Millions of dollars and you've got kind of to allocate kind of in a few different areas. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we take this amount and we're going to make this one grow. Right. Yeah. Do you see that, that strategy often where, you know, different risk tolerances for different percentages of their, of their money.
1: Yeah, so it, it can be that way. I mean, I typically take a that holistic view where you know you, you show me what's your what your pool of money, and then we agree on how we're going to get there. So I would look at different chunks within the portfolio with different risk profiles. You know, if you got uh, money in your investment account, in a corporate account, in a tax-free savings account, you know, all uh, and an RSP, you, know, you get these kind of four different places. <coughs> And you can take different risks in each of those places. So, you know, typically say in that scenario, you get a hundred grand in your TFSA, for example, you know, that'd be a good place for you to take some of that kind of a bigger risk from the perspective that if you do have a good success rate, you're not going to pay any tax on that gain, of course. So Mm -hmm. each of the different places, you may take different, uh, different setups. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: Cool. Well, yeah, certainly uh, I like where that's going from a standpoint of really kind of demystifying the market and everybody thinking everybody has to go in the same bucket and you have to know what stock, like, honestly, I think a lot of people just think they got to pick, you know, from a group of companies and that's how you invest. Right. Right. Like, oh, I'm these six companies and put all my money in these six companies and hope they do well. Right. Right. But there's there's so many other ways to invest. Right.
1: There really is. There really is. I mean, and a lot of the historical research around kind of how returns work, I think, aren't as useful as they used to be because, you know, how returns are made now are, are quite different. And so, you know, if you look at kind of uh, a profile, you know, historical research says, I think, you know, from a diversification in the stock portfolio, anytime you get over 25 stocks, um, there's a kind of a laws of diminishing returns. um, Mm -hmm. So you don't need to own more than 25 stocks. Um, You know, I tend to disagree with that. Um, And I. Tend to think, you know, if you were invested in Europe over the last ten years, you made zero dollars. So if you own twenty-five stocks in Europe over the last ten years, you still made zero (laughs) dollars. Yeah. So, so you know, you got to think about where that where that money is invested. For sure. Yeah. So one of the strategies,
0: and certainly one that you're big on, is the macro strategy, right? Yeah. The so. Why don't you talk a little bit about what that is and how that plays into, well, just what that is in general.
1: Yeah, so I've it's definitely been something that I've been interested in for a long time is kind of the macro picture and how that has an impact on markets. And so I'd say probably the last 10 years I've really spent a lot more time trying to understand the, the macro picture. So it'd be the macroeconomic picture and how that relates to the markets right so you know historically you know the market tended to lead the economy and it tended to lead it by six months we'll say so you could take a kind of a view where you know the uh, market is saying where the economy is going and so i you know I, i spent a lot of time trying to understand that um uh, I try to look at that global picture as well, because I think we get so focused on Canada and North America. So I was trying to understand how that, uh, how they related to each other. And so that kind of goes back to, to your first question about why are the markets doing something when the economy is doing something else? Mm-hmm. And so as I learned and learned, I, I, I followed a lot of different research people and individuals Um and then about three years ago, I landed on um, following this company called Hedgeye. And so Hedgeye is a uh, research firm. They do institutional research out of the US and they sell most of their high-end stuff to uh, hedge funds. And they've built a computer that analyzes real-time data on economic data. And so this is global data, every single global input that comes in out in the world gets generated into their computer. Obviously they pull it out of Bloomberg and then goes into their system and they come up with these different types of analysis based on the real time data. And so one of the challenges before was a lot of economic data was is very backwards looking. It's very delayed. And so when you, by the time you get the data, it had, you you know, you can't trade off that data like, like you would have before. So, you know, Hedgeye has done a lot of research around, you know, their, their algorithm that continues to digest this information. And so what they, what that comes out with is you get real time data on what's happening on a day-to-day basis. And they have a predictive algorithm that, that gives their opinions on where the different spots in the world look the most attractive, and then the different companies, and then the different—I mean, then the different industries, different companies. Anyways, it's uh, it's a uh, pretty detailed economic think tank that most people don't pay attention to or have access to, but it's been very good at helping with that predictive. Uh, thinking and, and algorithm around uh you know where the world's going and so what uh what the are you back yeah back. i think i lost you for a sec yeah 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 and so you know what they were so what i do every day now is i take a look and and Analyze what comes out, what gets spit out, and and it helps me think about what's happening on a on a day to day basis. So it's a uh, helps with the short term views on on what's happening in the markets. And so you know we've touched a little bit on the quadrants that they've developed, and uh, you know it uh, it helps you think about what sectors do well at what different parts of the cycle. And that was something that I yeah I always. Uh, knew intuitively that different asset classes did well at different times, but what I didn't know is how and what the setups were for that, for those to play out. So, you know, we're in this kind of, we'll call it the the quad two, which is growth plus inflation. And, you know, the, the great thing about knowing these different things is, you know, what does well in the different types of pockets. And then the, what I do and what, uh, I have to make decisions on is how do I allocate and how do I execute uh, on those strategies? Gotcha. Yeah. So
0: just mention the quadrants again, I know we talked about a little bit of last time, but yeah. so
1: right now we're in
0: which quadrant again, quad two, quad two. And what are some of the ones the industries that do well on that typically do you remember?
1: Yeah. 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 So it'd be commodities uh, would do well. Financials do well. Um, technology typically does well in this part of the cycle, too emerging markets, things like that. So, you know, what uh, doesn't do well is the, typically the U.S. dollar. Um, and you know, the unique challenge is what happens when that quad flips. And you know, as you as you look out, and as as I look out into the horizon. It looks like on the other side of this is quad four, which is uh, not good for most other things, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which if we go into that quad four environment, you get into that that stagflation, which is falling inflation or deflation and slowing growth together Mm -hmm. tends to be U.S. dollar strength, uh, bond strength, um, and uh, some of the things that most people don't have exposure to.
0: Okay. So again, going back to the main streets, yep. what does that mean? Like, obviously it's from your client standpoint, but if I'm yeah. a, an investor and you yeah. see that coming on the horizon, hmm. well, like what's a strategy to capitalize? Is there, is there a capitalizer or is it like a buckle up and we just try to make it through a quad like that?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a great point and a great question. And so I think that, uh, you know, sometimes we get, you get stuck in a thinking that I have to do things one way and you can't make money in a, in a down, we'll call it down equity market. Right. And so, you know, the, the answer to that is you can always, be better positioned. If you, have a, if you know with a pretty high certainty that we're going into that environment, well, you can make some changes. You know, if, you're, if you are in an all equity portfolio, um, tilted towards technology, if you're lucky enough, for example, then you can take some profits and allocate it to long bonds at this point. Or you can take some profits and just keep some of that in cash. Or if you're sophisticated enough, you can you can buy puts because um, they're getting fairly cheap now as an in insurance. Uh, that can, and puts are like uh, basically like insurance. Hypothetically, say you invest ten thousand dollars in it, a market falls, that ten thousand could be worth a hundred thousand. So it's like an insurance policy. Um, so there's there's always something you can do to prepare for that.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah.
1: Okay. So,
0: so speaking of, you know, some more specifics, what, are, what are we, what are we looking at right now? What are we interested in? Let's talk about some more fun stuff as far as, um, you know, what, what's interesting in the, in the world of investing right now. I mean, I hate to, I hate to bring it up every time, but Bitcoin's always in the news, right? Crypto in general, um, it's kind of, I don't, I don't know. Some people are starting to, as it's getting more exposure, right? There's more people that are digging more into it. So I think mm-hmm. there's going to be some more things that come out about it. Where do you yeah. think it's at
1: as, where do you think Bitcoin and crypto is at right now? Yeah, it's pretty interesting, uh, extremely unique. And as I think about it over my career, I, there's not many things that I can remember that, are similar to this. And so I know Paul Tudor Jones talked about gold being like this in the 70s where you couldn't really trade it yet. So there's a lot of similarities around what's happening now with with gold and Bitcoin. But uh, I gotta be honest, this week was kind of the first week that I started to get a little bit nervous and so as I as I talk to clients and I, you know, I had a call with a client this week and uh he said it very sophisticated guy too, and he said, you know, everyone I talk to now talks about putting their cash into Bitcoin, like money from their bank account into Bitcoin. Um and these are they're not kids, these are people like in their seventies that are telling me this. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 And, uh, obviously we had, you know, this, uh, couple of people sent me this article uh, over the weekend and, uh, we're recording this on, uh, January 17th. So send me the article about, um, you know, tether and how that plays a part in, in crypto. And so, um, I haven't done my own thorough analysis on that, but as I read through that article, you know, I start to think about how important it is for it to be regulated sooner than later. And so, yeah, yeah you know, as, and my hope is that it continues to be an, an alternative asset class and continues to be what I think it could be, but it, it needs regulation and uh, tether, which we could, You know, we could talk about more detail, um, seem to allow, uh, people to put leverage on, um, and transact outside of the United States. Um, you know, both those things are, uh, concerning for the price. So, you know, if you get a quick, you know, drawdown where hypothetically maybe Tether got into trouble, um. You know, the, the market could overreact because leverage can come out of the system quite quickly. For sure. Yeah. I think I, yeah, I think I agree with that. I mean, it's certainly
0: something that I've been following pretty closely and trying to learn as much as I can about because one of the things I am looking, I I have learned since joining the industry is, is to look forward. And probably my strategy is to look the way that I think the world is going to be like, yeah. you know, period of time. And I do think crypto, in general, I don't know. I don't I don't know about Bitcoin um, specifically. You know, things like Ethereum mm. are going to be the platform that people actually transact in on a day-to-day basis, right? Yeah. And Bitcoin um, is going to be more the store of value. Is kind of my understanding of it. Yeah. Um, kind of at a high level. Mm-hmm. But so I do think I I'm not. I agree with you from a standpoint of I think there's definitely going to be some skeletons that come out of the closet, right. That will reveal some things that were maybe been going on behind the scenes that Mm. uh, could cause a correction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you know, the experts in that area have been saying that all along and there are a lot of the experts that I listen to as well. have been saying like, look, this, this thing is going, moving too fast. You know what I mean? It wasn't made to grow like this quickly. If we want it to do what it, is designed to do right um then it needs to slow down so i think that's going to be the correction we see yeah are you going to see the some skeletons coming out of the closet and some negative news absolutely yeah right yeah um to you like it's more of like how do you deal with that in the portfolio is something different yeah right for sure but i still am Bullish on the long-term view of crypto, right? Mm-hmm. Short-term, yeah, I think I think we're getting ready for maybe something something negative is going to come out soon. Mm-hmm.
1: But- yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, it's uh, it is a volatile asset class. When I think about it uh, from a composition perspective within a portfolio, it's just like anything else, you know. Like uh, obviously, crypto holders like people that want to hold it forever and you know it's so it's such a narrow view where you know i've seen enough people blow up in other stuff in their careers where you know you get an 80% waiting in Nortel or you get an 80% weighting in U.S. financials, or you only own precious metals, or you only do this, you know, that's, that's not how you manage money for people. At least that's not how I manage money for people. So, you know, if you've had success in that area, well, you know, you, you trim it back and look for something else that has potential. And, to your point, well, maybe Ethereum is part of it and maybe you stay within the crypto space or maybe you take some of those profits and you buy Square or, you know, MicroStrategy or some, something else that's a little bit more established that allows you to kind of move up the food chain um, and, you know, preserve those profits. But, you know, it's not it's not ever an all in uh, single decision. Um, that's a good way to uh, to wreck your financial picture yeah for sure yeah
0: so yeah so we're watching it is basically what we're saying you know yes. like yes. uh if you were asked us two weeks ago we're ready to bet the farm or certainly <laughs> i was <laughs> I, should, I shouldn't say that about you because that wasn't true but yeah. uh yeah i certainly have had my bullish times on crypto for sure uh okay what else is interesting what else is interesting right now
1: yeah, I think that uh, basically, because I have the view that we're in this kind of this this inflation plus growth period, the uh, you want to own anything that does well with a weak U.S. dollar. So again, I think it's temporary, but you know, you want to own emerging markets. and so I think you would probably want to look in different places and if you want to keep it simple, you can just buy the ETF, but, you know, I'd be looking at some of the other countries that I think have a better risk reward. Like, you know, you want to own like a, maybe a Brazil or Russia, um, if you're comfortable with those countries. Um, but, uh, you know, you'd look at kind of those places, um, there's some individual companies that look attractive. But, uh, you know, I think that the general view is that I think you can own EM, um, you can own commodities, you can own some individual Canadian Canadian okay. companies that are tilted towards energy commodities, you know? uh, and commodities. But I think we're in the latter part of that trade. So I start to, I look at... You know, we've had corn, we've had... Uh, like potash, uh, and these, some of these commodities go, go vertical um, over the last few months. You know, I think we're starting to get to the end of that cycle. I think there's still money to be made. But you know, as I always look forward, I'm trying to think about, okay, at what point do I pivot away from that? And what do I pivot to at that point? But right now, I think there's still money to be made in, in, in this space. Right. So and so, as we came into last week, obviously, market sold off a bit on Friday. Um, As I look at futures tonight, they're pretty flat. Um, Bonds are up a little bit. Cryptos up a little bit. Uh, But if the market's down on Monday, I think there's a chance to use some of the cash to buy to buy stuff. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, all that sounds super boring since
0: I'm uh, main street guy. <laughs> yeah. hey, main street guy. I like to hear about, uh, you know, companies and industries that I understand. Right. Yeah. yeah. So things that I like, and I want you to respond to these, right. Cause yep. as yep. investments, right. Yep. So the thing that I've learned since en- entering the space is to kind of like, as I mentioned before, is kind of have that longer term view. Yeah. And since right now, uh, I would look at stuff that I know in actual companies that I know, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, I look at things like travel. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, travel's never been worse because people can't travel. Yeah. But down the road, I think there's going to be an explosion of that. Right. Yeah. And I look yeah. at, I look at just main, like key indicators that are easy to figure out. Like if you go on and try to book trips anywhere right now, yeah, super expensive. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Look at the book for 2022, right? Yeah, if you look yeah. the book out, people think they're going to go on and, and get a deal. No, because I think there's going to be a huge explosion in travel. And yeah. People are just sick of sitting, you know, not being able to travel for two years. Yeah. Right. It just yep. makes a little sense. Now, I think a lot of that is, I think the time to buy travel was probably, you know, four or five months ago, mm-hmm. you know, and you have like, I think Expedia at a hundred bucks, 99 bucks would have been great. Now it's, at, yeah. uh, 100, it's back up to 140, I think. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 140, you know, like yeah. those types of things. But I think there's still going to be massive value because I think they're going to have a huge spike when it comes back. Same thing yeah. with the cruise lines. If they the one, the trick with the cruise lines, right, is it's going to be the ones that actually make it through because they're yeah. just so leveraged now. I mean, they have billions and billions of dollars of debt that yeah. I don't know if they'll be able to, it'll kind of be if, how, how long they can hang on, right? Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe you can have a quick speak to, to how, how you see that fit in.
1: Yeah. So, I think that um, a little bit about how I would think about this is, you know, back in 2008, you know, I kind of had that view that none of the financials would fail. Um, and so I learned through that period that, uh, you know, just because a company didn't fail before, it certainly could in the future. So I would take a view that, you know, if I'm going to buy travel, I'm probably going to look to do it. in either if I want to own the airlines, for example, I'm probably going to do it with an ETF. There's an ETF you can buy called jets, which is J E T S that trades in the U S. Um, you know, there's, uh, if you want to and are bold enough certainly you can buy some individual names and if you chose to do that then i'd really dig into the balance sheets um and say you know how how long can they survive before their cash flow gets back to a reasonable level yeah I mean, as for the cruise lines yeah i mean look we had that we've had that discussion for multiple months and still i'm not convinced that they all make it through um so uh the only way i guess i would consider playing that is harvest in canada launched an etf called travel i think it's trvl um so it would give you exposure to the cruise lines and the airlines together Mm -hmm. um so you could play it from uh from a trade perspective yeah Yeah,
0: I like that actually. I like that for sure.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean,
0: um, and again, from the main street side, looking at things that are happening in the future, you know, I've been a a big esports guy, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. uh, The reason for that is many. You know, I look at the way that people interact and the way that real sports are now and the way that kids interact with looking basically they watch video games all day yeah um either they're playing them or they're literally watching them uh like pay-per-view they they're interacting with video games the same way that you and i interacted with real sports when we were that age yeah right yeah and you see you already see you know league professional leagues popping up you're seeing record-breaking Uh, I want to call it TV time, but that's not, that's not what it is. But uh, you know, live streams is basically what it is. Sure. Right. Um, And I just think that, you know, that's going to be the future of of sports. Right. And you're seeing that like the, again, the market is saying so. um, With a lot of these companies um, that are, that, I mean, it's just, it's just a rope straight up almost since since last March. Sure. So I don't know what your take is on that.
1: Yeah. So, uh, mixed views. I mean, I don't know if you followed GameStop this week, but, uh, you know, there was a massive short interest on GameStop and then the company earnings started to pick up. They did quite well. Like the stock was up 150% last week. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, uh, but as for the bigger ones, as you mentioned, like, uh, um, EA sports and, and things like that. You know, yeah. I think that um, you got to really think about the, the companies you want to own. I think there's potential. Obviously we see Roblox is coming out and it, as an IPO and it's not uh, obviously esports, but it's definitely that kind of uh, computer engagement still with kids or technology engagement, engagement with kids. So yeah. I think that Yeah. I think that there, there is potential with some of them. I think you want to own the bigger ones at at this point. Um, There is money to be made in the private market, um, but uh, I don't, and we can't trade in the private market at the present time. Um, But uh, the, you know, you've seen a lot of these companies like Roblox just raised money before they went public and they're doing a direct listing instead of an IPO. Um, So, yeah, you know, they're coming to the market with kind of a different view. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's potential there. I think there's a lot of growth. I guess it's just the timing of when you want to own these things too. And I think mm-hmm. the next few months is probably a decent time. If you're, if you're long them already, like if you own them already, I think you can hold them. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just not adding to positions right now. You know, I do think if we see this, sell off sometime late summer um early summer late summer you know you probably get that chance to to buy them at better prices and ultimately i'm trying to buy things that i think can work uh uh, over the uh, period of time i'm looking to buy them sure absolutely
0: yeah Yeah, i mean i want to just bring some a couple of things like that that are interesting from uh I, i think this is what the everyday people are looking at right sure are the industries that they know
1: right like everything that
0: you talked about so i'd like to kind of bring a couple things to the forefront like hey you know what this is what's interesting to me this is what people that i talk to talk about right and things that i see that have growth in the future just the way that the world is working right yeah um for sure yeah okay cool what else (laughs) mr wall street (laughs) hey What yeah. else, Mr. Wall Street?
1: Yeah, you know, I think uh, obviously there's there's lots of things that that uh, kind of I think pique my interest as I think about things in the market, and and one of them is really interest rates and while well, i know it's boring as heck for most people you know when i think about it i think you know why why is there such a discrepancy between where us interest rates are and the rest of the world and so it makes me think a little bit about you know what's what's happening what's the common where's the opportunities but yeah you know, i'm watching interest rates really closely um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I think that's going to have a big impact on what happens with pretty much every asset class in the world. Um, so that, uh, something I'm paying attention to. One of the things we talked about, uh, before, I think we went on the call was just about the time, the time aspect. And, you know, there's been a lot of pressure around kind of making money right away. So there's a lot of pressure around, uh, around the timing of things. And so, You know that's that's starting to play into my thinking around uh, portfolio positioning, and people are starting to get greedy again. And when people get greedy again, that typically means we're getting we're we're coming up on a sell off, and so. I'm starting to think about time uh from many different perspectives and you know we we talked where you know before people would hold stocks three to five years and then that came down to three to five months three to five weeks and now it's like three to five days so um <laughs> that that aspect is is playing into things
0: yeah i mean if i'm thinking of you know, I think the everyday person, uh, when they're thinking about putting money in, if I want to, if I'm thinking like buy and hold, I'm thinking RSP. you know, I'm just going to leave the money in there. It'll be there for my retirement. If yeah. I'm thinking I want to put money on the market, I want a return. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. And, and I get that from talking to our clients too. Yep. Yep. Well, maybe less our clients, but um, you know, people that are in the market too that that want growth right Mm -hmm. is they want that more instant feedback and again going back to crypto i think that's why people another reason people like i can make money on this right now yeah you know yeah um it's had unprecedented growth so i think those are the types of trades that people are gonna be looking to make
1: yeah right for sure and if that trade continues to work it's going to continue to to pull in more money. Mm-hmm. You know, I, as I, as I said, the, the, but the one thing that that most people uh, forget about and hopefully don't ever have to have the chance to experience is that that trade could be asymmetric to the downside against you. So at sure. uh, one day, if the central banks of the world come together, ala kind of Bretton Woods and they say, we're going to uh, ban the use of, bitcoin as an alternative mm-hmm. currency we're not going to let it we're not going to let you convert your bitcoin into us dollars canadian dollars euros sterling then it goes down immediately mm-hmm. and it goes down 80% 90% <laughs> yeah it's not like down 5 <laughs> yeah and so Absolutely when when you have something unique like this that has a unique risk profile um it's a it's it's uh something that you can never i think lose sight of that as well and so when you're when it's in a portfolio obviously you got to think about how much you want to have exposure to and you know you need something that can counterbalance if you don't want to take too much risk and Mm so one of the challenges that Bitcoin's had is they don't, you know, as an everyday investor, there's not a great way to hedge the risk of that. You know, if you're an institutional investor, you can buy you, know, you can buy futures, futures, you can buy puts, like you can buy protection on the downside. But yeah. as an investor like like Gus at the present time, you know, there, there's nothing that gives you that perfect downside protection. So, you know, I, th- I think about it within context of the portfolio, how much am I comfortable having exposure to? And also if I have exposure to it, what else am I going to own that's going to go up if it goes down? For sure.
0: And I think that's been kind of somehow that's turned out to be the theme of this podcast is risk, right? Like yeah. it really comes down to yeah, there's huge opportunities, probably the most opportunities has ever been, right? To make money, but yeah. it's it's what level of risk you're comfortable with, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's something we can certainly talk more about too, right? For is, sure. Is risk how to manage? To get into a little more specifics about. Um, you know how to how that looks in a portfolio and how to manage the risk and talk about puts and yeah, you know things things like that that you know tools that you can use to 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 manage those risks right to protect yourself.
1: Yeah, and I think it's you know it's the one thing that I know when I talk to other advisors, they really don't have a concept of what risk is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and when when I talk to them about their portfolios, like you know I. I, yeah, I take a look at what what else they're doing. And uh, they, they don't really think about managing risk, they just think about return. And so I think you do yourself a big disservice if you don't think about, you know, if uh, what's the risk with everything that I'm doing. And I think it's a really uh, important differentiator over what we do. Yeah, well,
0: you mentioned other advisors, it's probably the number one surprise for me since I've gotten into this industry with you is uh, while talking to other advisors is, um, you know, their hands off approach, like, very few people actually manage the money, right, where I always thought it was like, every, every, uh, every advisor, just, they did what you did. right Right. Right. which is actually manage the portfolio right right Right. um that's that's not the case and it's very surprising actually i'm not sure that i've met anybody else Hmm. um that that doesn't certainly doesn't do it like you yeah right a lot of them just put it in funds and i do that i talk to other associates around and the and the advisors and it's the same thing and a lot of people think that you're crazy
1: yes or that we're crazy (laughs) right yeah
0: because from a standpoint of like oh man he's making all the decisions they just don't want to be the ones making the decision because then they have that responsibility responsibility to do it for sure so yeah yeah very interesting for sure okay cool. cool well why don't we uh wrap it up there number two in the books
1: sounds good
0: yeah, awesome. I think we covered. I think we covered a ton of things. Yeah, me too. You I know, think. that was I've, good. Yeah, I think the uh, the approach of Main Street versus Wall Street, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna craft some things that are really gonna come out of things that I've noticed about the industry that I just don't understand or don't agree with, yeah. and that doesn't make sense from a that's not I don't think in the best interest for the everyday guy. And you're gonna kind of try to rebuke those things, and maybe I'll even t- come at or you with some alternative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or you may yeah. agree. Yeah. Or I may come at you with some alternatives like, oh, hey, why is, uh, you know, why is real estate a better investment than the market? Look right for that one. <laughs> Leverage. <laughs> I think, Leverage. I think you're going to dominate me on that one already, but because I've already uh, looked into that, but it's a view I certainly used to have. Yeah for sure now i've been educated why not And maybe we'll have a guest on about that one but anyway okay uh let's wrap this one up and we will see you next week sounds good okay all right bye